You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. As you will know, if you were here last week, you will know that I've started thinking about this idea of the devil's playbook. Sounds a bit sinister, sounds a bit serious, but don't worry, we are here to win. So there's no worries about that. But we are not unaware of the enemy's schemes. And I just felt led to spend a few weeks um, as I'm on, on and off. So next week, my dad's preaching, which is a great blessing to you all. So next week, my dad's preaching. But when I'm next on, I'll continue with this theme for a few weeks, just talking about things that I feel are important for us to just be aware of, because it's very easy to to think about all the wonderful things about being in the Christian faith, but there is an an enemy, a spiritual enemy. Sometimes we are our own enemy. Sometimes we blame the devil for things when it's just our fault. We get ourselves into a mess. But there is a spiritual enemy. So I wanted to talk about that, and I put it in the context of what is a playbook, first of all. And um, I found when I looked online, uh, it's a notebook containing a sports team's strategies and plays. So we talk about a play as a kind of strategy, a move, a manoeuvre that's going to take place. And um, I've seen it on on cop shows in, in, in TV as well, where they're dealing with all sorts of... Uh, we're going to do this kind of play and they've got this, all these manoeuvres kind of um, uh, mapped out and ready to go but it's often used in sales it's often used in business the word playbook is often used to mean a set of tactics frequently employed by anyone engaged in a competitive activity and I wanted to, I wanted to tell you this morning that there is a, an enemy that is involved in a competitive activity he's competing for your attention and so um, I'm not going to read through all of those scriptures on the on the screen but just to recap and for those who missed it in case you were uh, missing last week and you're just sitting here thinking what the heck is John talking about devil's playbook we don't really uh, take that all too seriously do we well there are several scriptures that talk about the fact that the enemy is out there and we are not to give him a foothold that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy but that Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full but there is a balance to be had in all of this so let's be careful not to overemphasize the work of the devil but let's also not be unaware of his schemes so there are lots of things you could have thought of I thought of four beginning, beginning, beginning with D uh, there are others as well in the devil's playbook, different ideas, different things that the devil uses to distract us or to remove us from the perfect will of the Father. And the one I wanted to talk about today was distraction. Next time I'll talk about doubt. There's also despondency or despair and there's division. There are others. Could have talked about fear, could have, could have talked about uh, lots of things. And there are, there are strategies that are used specifically for non-Christians, I believe, those who haven't yet given their lives to Jesus and there are strategies that are used for Christians which um, perhaps are a little bit different and that's what I'm talking about a little bit more today. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking specifically to the Christian this morning and if you haven't given your life to Jesus this morning then we can do that as well. Okay, We, we want to make sure that everybody leaves this place um, knowing Jesus as their personal saviour. Uh, I've got, I, you might have noticed I'm talking through this mic and I'm also holding a mic. There is a reason for that, okay? Um, just in case that was distracting anybody, I want to talk about distraction. And for this um, reason, Andrew and I noticed very early on, you'll see that our son Sam is in the room, he's leaving in a minute, he's just helping with the, the mixing of two mics and then he can disappear. Um, when, when they were little, 
we've learned the power of distraction really well. Um, you can distract a child when they are looking at something that you don't want them to look at. Rather than tell them not to, just show them something else. And so I, I, I wrote a few mini plays that I thought really described this very well. In scenario one, which is at the park, and on here will uh, appear a little script, um, at the park, this is where the parents aren't using the technique of distraction. So actually, I need a volunteer to, um, to be a child. Thank you, Carol. That'll be great. Um, <laughs> Carol, you can, be a, you can do a child's voice, can't you? Yeah, good. Um, and I'm going to just flip to someone nearby. I'm going to use Karen. Thank you for your voice, Karen. You can be, you can be mum and I'll be dad, okay? So if you can just get near. I'm going to use the mic here. Right, just read what it says. There it is. We're at the park and the child says, I want an ice cream. You can't have an ice cream. I want an ice cream. Now. <laughs> but you just had your dinner. Ice cream. I picked the right people here, didn't I? You just had your dinner and you had a big chocolate pudding. You must be full up. Please, can I have an ice cream? You'll be sick. Oh, oh over there. <laughs> I said, please. Do you want to be sick all over your buggy? I just want an ice cream. Daddy, do you think an ice cream's a good idea? What? Sorry? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, no, ice cream makes you fat. Has Daddy had an ice cream? <laughs> okay, so that's scenario one. Give our actors a round of applause. No distraction, no distraction techniques were used in the making of that um, scenario. But this time, let's go for the John and Andrea approach when we've got kids in our buggy and they're a lot younger than they are now. And um, we'll, we'll take two. So, uh, yes, Sharon, it's going to have to be you. Uh, you'll, you could be a good child. Who's near Sharon? Oh, look, I think we should use Charles as well. Who thinks we should use Charles? The dad plays a bigger role in this one. Um, and uh, who, who else should we? Well, I'll play... I'll play somebody. Uh, maybe I'll be the mum. Okay. Don't want to don't embarrass too many people. Okay, so what are you? You're the child. Right, okay, here we go. I'm going to stand here. I want an ice cream. Oh, it's me. Oh, oh, look, there's a slide and some swings. Oh, yeah. Oh, hang on, it's Dad now. <laughs> oh, yes. They look... Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I want an ice cream. I wonder how high I can... What did you say? Push you on the swing. Push you on. <laughs> the swing. Careful now, darling. Swing! Dad says... Come on. Come on, then. And he pushes the child high on the swing. I feel sick. Well, you won't want an ice cream, then, will you? Ice cream! <laughs> OK. So... Give a round of applause to our other actors. Right, I, I just thought it would be a bit of fun just to talk about 
distraction. Thanks to Sam for Pierre. You can disappear now if you like. We can stay in. It's up to you, but go and join your crew, I imagine. Okay, so in that scenario, mum and dad were quite successful in distracting the child. And so distractions can be used for a very powerful purpose. If you're addicted to something, if you're struggling in an area, if if you've got a problem, and the worst thing to do is to, to be around that thing. If you're trying to lose weight, the best thing to do is just have nothing in at home, not have nothing in the cupboards, because um, then you can't be distracted by it. But then even better is to, to, to have something to do. So people who give up smoking, people who have give up, given up smoking successfully, and I know it's not this easy, um, but they often have a distraction thing that helps them. Every time they want a cigarette, they do something else. It doesn't work for everybody, but sometimes it helps to have a positive distraction. It's powerful. It works. And on the flip side of that, if we have an untamed mind, we can easily be distracted to the negative things. And I, I want to tell you this morning that there is a spiritual enemy out there who wants to distract us from the things of God. So what we have is a thing that prevents someone from focusing on something else. There's a really deep and meaningful definition of distraction, isn't it? It's a thing, there's a person... Okay, that's a round person. I think it's a bird's eye view of a person with a round head. Okay, and there's the desired focus. So let's say exercise. And in the middle comes this distraction. It's in the way. It's attractive. It might appear bigger than the thing. Uh, maybe it's you go almost to the gym, but there's a cafe next door selling donuts. And so that would be a great distraction to me. It's a thing in the way. It's a thing that gets in the way. You first of all desire this, you're working towards or walking towards this desired object. It's a good thing, it's a noble thing, but it's somehow on your journey from here to the the desired focus, something gets in the way. I I hope I've defined distraction clearly enough for you. So let's talk first of all then about what the desired focus is, and then we'll talk about some distractions. As far as the spiritual goes, forgetting for now exercise and losing weight and other desired focus, which is all godly and good to do, to have a positive goal and positive desired focus, um, it would be good just to recap very, very quickly a few things that I talked about last week. I talked about the fact that not only does the devil have a playbook, but don't worry about it, God's got a much bigger playbook. And I talked through four very oversimplified ideas about what's in God's overall big picture playbook. Number one, to save humanity, which he's done. Um, Anyone who hasn't accepted Jesus as your saviour, you need to understand that God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, there's a step of faith, a step of believing in him, won't die, won't perish, but will have eternal life with Jesus. When you die, Where will you go? What will happen? You know that if you've given your life to Jesus, you will spend eternity with him because he has come, he has saved us. We celebrated it over communion just now. So that was part of God's playbook right from the very beginning, right from the beginning when man sinned, when we got it wrong right at the start. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. That means right from the beginning, God had a plan. And then he has a plan to come back to earth. He has a plan to punish the devil. And he has a plan to reign forever with those who believed in him. If I was writing God's playbook out just for a bit of um, other 
I was going to say for a bit of fun, but for any other purpose, I probably would have left out point three, punish the devil, because it just all sounds a little bit um, spooky, maybe, for some of us, uh, or maybe focusing on the wrong things. But because of the nature of this series and the idea that the devil himself has a playbook, I thought it was important to say that he will be punished. And we looked at some scriptures last week, or at least one on that topic. But that's God's big playbook. And that should be part of our our desired focus when we're thinking about what's going to distract us maybe we're not thinking about those things every day well I'm certainly not I'll be honest I'm not always thinking about all of those things so I kind of whittled it down then well what's our role in all that because I can't save humanity I'm not going to come back I can't decide when Jesus comes back what is it I've got to do to, to key into God's big playbook so we looked at our role which was very very simple again it was to love God to love people and to make disciples that's why I am here that's why you're here you might have a a job at a bank or you might be a stay-at-home father or mother you might be um, retired you might have uh, grandchildren that you look after on a Tuesday you might have all sorts of things in your routine that feel like they give you purpose but your the reason you live and breathe is to know God and to enjoy him forever and to love the people around you and to inspire them to follow Jesus as well to make disciples that is your core purpose that's perhaps something we can all get distracted from it's very easy to be distracted from these things because like going to the gym, the donuts in the way feel a lot more quick fix, a lot more interesting and a lot more desirable in the short term. And these distractions are always something that is far more short term. Now, I I apologised if anybody thought that was an oversimplification last week, but I want to oversimplify it even more. If I could distill our purpose down to just one single sentence, it would be this. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. They're Jesus' words, not mine. Notice that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and he didn't say anything second When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. But when it comes to saying, seek first the kingdom, he doesn't say, and then second, seek a good job. Or, and second, seek whatever else. Because if you get this first, there's no time for anything else, and everything else follows. Anything else is added to you that you need. He's asking you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I've been talking about righteousness because I felt it was important to talk about the breastplate of righteousness over a series of Wednesday nights. And as Vez announced, we'll be looking at the idea of practical righteousness. We've, we've um, reveled in the facts that we are made righteous by Christ and not by our own works, by grace alone we are made righteous but out of that becomes this walking into a lifestyle of practical righteousness not in order to earn righteousness 
from God, but in order to, to serve him and love him out of the righteousness he's, he's already given us. So this, and, and I, I started that whole series by talking about righteousness just means being right, doing things the right way. If, if, if there's a straight line to follow, you just walk that line without any diversion, without wobbling even, uh, and living right. So it's seeking first his righteousness, which comes from Christ, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, which comes from Christ, and then living a life accordingly. Well, what does that look like? I wonder. Well, I had seven thoughts about what that would look like, and so I'm going to whiz through them, and then we'll look at some of the distractions. I just really want to make it clear that as we look at this idea in the devil's playbook, one of his pages, or chapters even, is distraction. I'm going to throw distractions in the way of the Christians so that they don't follow Jesus properly. I'm just making it really clear that these are the things that we probably would be focusing on if we weren't distracted. Okay? And there is a challenge here for everybody, myself included. All right? Now, these aren't Bible verse things. These are just thought, thoughts that I had about practical righteousness. It'll probably um, be a springboard for what I talk about on Wednesday night as well. The first thing I, I thought of, what, it, what does it look like to seek his, his kingdom first? is that every decision you make aims to honour God. Now, I know that there are some decisions to make, like, should I buy Tesco Ashbeck English Natural Mineral Water, or should I go for a more branded version? There are, there are lots of little, um, little decisions to make. Or should I buy the yellow shirt or the red shirt? Well, if you think that that decision has an impact on whether or not it honours God, then that's great. But I'm talking about decisions that where you know, if I make this life choice, if my, I make this decision in this moment, if I play the video out from this moment, having made this decision, will my life be honouring God better than if I play the video out in my mind of making a separate decision, going a slightly different route, which do I think in my heart would honour God the best. And you could say, well, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You don't know which, which way, you know, you make decision A, you make decision B. Who knows which will honour God the best? But sometimes you just know in your heart there's that little nagging doubt that what you have just decided wasn't quite right. Even though on the surface, on paper, even biblically, you haven't made a, a, a wrong move, you haven't sinned, but deep down you're just thinking, will this decision honour God. It's a filter that you put your decisions through. So out of that, you're less money motivated and more kingdom minded. You're less money motivated than kingdom minded. So when you're offered a job with a double salary, you actually ask yourself, well, how many hours of my life will that take up? Or does it require a move to another town? And if so, does that mean that I'll be moving away from something that I've been doing that's been a ministry or a voluntary thing? Does it, if I have to move to another town, never mind the big salary, is there a good church in that town that I can get connected to? Have I got time to go and investigate whether or not, do I feel a sense of calling in this? And it's very hard to answer that last question. Do I feel a sense of calling in this? Because you can get very excited about the money. And you can feel like God's in it. 
because you feel like, wow, yeah, this is going to be right and I can buy things that will be a ministry tool and I can give more to the kingdom. And You can rationalise it and you can philosophise saying, this is a good decision, but deep down in your heart, you're thinking, but I really felt like God called me to this church for this time. And people come to this church and they've come to other churches. I've been all my life in church and I've seen lots of times people say, I feel God's asked me to be in this place. And then something more attractive comes in their way. And maybe sometimes it is God, but sometimes you do wonder if perhaps they've just been distracted from the thing that God called them to. Your and it's not always money, I've gone off topic there because point two is more about money. You're, you're less money-minded than kingdom-minded. Singles seek Christ-centred spouses. That was another thought that came to me. And there may not be many singles in here because the, the, the youth have gone out and the kids have gone out. And, but I just thought it was important to talk to parents and grandparents as well. It's very important that that we, we teach our kids that the most important thing is that they honour Christ in all that they do. And that includes whether or not you take a girlfriend or a boyfriend who is going a completely different spiritual direction. Because it's a lot easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up. In the, in the natural, physically, with gravity it is, if you've got someone standing on a chair and, you, and someone standing here, right, your, your job is to pull them up onto the chair and their job is to pull you down onto the floor. The winner is usually the one who's pulling the person down. And the same often happens in relationships. And I know people and I've talked to people who are single into years and years of asking God for a spouse who have said, I would rather be single than married to the wrong person. Because they're kingdom-minded, because they're seeking first his kingdom, because they know that even if they get 50 long years with, with a husband or wife, they're going to spend eternity in heaven, and that is far more important. And, and if they can bring as many people with them to heaven as possible, that's what they want. And if that means being single in this moment, that's what they would rather do. That's what it looks like to seek his kingdom first. Parents value kids' faith over academic achievement. So my kids know that whether it or not they get the... It's level nine now. It used to be an A star. Uh, it's level nine at the, in their GCSEs, which is like an A star star. Or not. As long as they've tried their best, the main thing is that they have a relationship with Jesus that they are working to develop because it all take, every relationship takes work. That they have a relationship with Jesus that they are working on and that their aim is to honour him in all that they do. That is far more important than any piece of paper saying that they're clever. And the Lord has a plan for their life and a purpose for their life regardless and, and he, has, he, he has his own definition of success for their life regardless of academic achievement. And I say that as someone with, who scraped through some GCSEs, really just about scraped through some A-levels and then got a degree and now has a master's degree. So I'm not, I'm not against the academic, but parents we have, and grandparents, we have to get this value right. It starts in the home. We can tell them in, in, the, in the meetings when they come for half an hour on a Sunday, but it starts at home. 
Your relationship with Jesus is more important than anything you can do at school. Try your hardest at school. Work hard at school to honour God. But he has a plan for your life. And some of the most successful people have no exam results anyway. Number five. This is of seven. They have a, people who seek first his kingdom have a kingdom awareness in the mundane. So we wake up. We, I talked about this last week. You wake up and you feel like poo but you're aware that you're a child of God and you start speaking those positive things. This is not just positive confession that's just nice. Uh, you know, People in the world have caught on to the idea that if you confess with your mouth, things feel better for you. This is, nothing, this, is, this is another level. This is about confessing spiritual, eternal truth over your own life. So in the mundane, when we're walking down the steps into because you can't walk anywhere in Brixham without going down some steps somewhere when you're walking down the steps into town or whatever you're doing where you're doing the laundry whether you're driving to work or driving somewhere else or driving someone mad you're aware that you are part of an eternal kingdom it's just in the mundane it's just bringing him in it's remembering it might be affected by the music you play or the radio station you choose to have on because it helps you to remember who you are and what you're all about. It's a very short life in the light of eternity. Far better to stay focused on, on the reality, on the true reality. And the last two are the use of time and the use of money. And I, I know I mentioned money in number two where I said you're less money motiv- motivated. But I just wanted to say that if, if the enemy really wants to know what you're like, all he needs is access to your calendar and your bank statements. How you spend your time and how you spend your money is a real reflection. It doesn't matter what smile you put on a Sunday and, and how you behave in the Christian coffee shop. What really shows your true colours is how you spend your money and how you spend your time. And that's not putting anything on uh, you should be spending 12 hours a week in prayer and 15 hours a week volunteering for Haven or whatever it is. That's just you and God sorting it out between you. Lord, what do you want me to give above the tithe? Or what do you want me to give in my, um, in my time? How much TV do you want me to cut down on? It's just between you and God. It's different for everybody. You might just be asking 15 minutes more of you. But how you spend your time and how you spend your money is all a sign that you are seeking first his kingdom. That's what Jesus told us to do. For me, it's just, he's made it really simple for us to understand. It's not 613 laws like the Jews have in the Old Testament, which I don't discredit the Old Testament. The law is perfect and good. But Jesus has made things so much easier for us. We accept his righteousness and then we seek first his kingdom. So that's the goal. That's the desired focus. Going back to that first diagram, we've got the person on one side. We've got the desired focus. Now, for some of you in here and for me, in my spirit, I know all this is right. It's like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be like that. I want to be that person. I want to live with abandon for the kingdom. That is my desired focus. But also, for some of you in here, the flesh is crying out, no! And for some of us, the flesh is actually just philosophizing why some of those points aren't relevant for me. Or I'm not quite at that stage yet in my spiritual walk. Yes, we're all there. We can all seek first his kingdom. 
So if you're just feeling like, well, maybe this isn't for you because you're not that holy, you can't live like that. You can't even walk towards that. I've just made the goal too difficult. Well, that's all right. You, you can't opt out. Let's just have a look at some of the distractions then. And let's just see if some of these apply to some of us. And again, we'll be challenged and hopefully by the end encouraged just to, to, to live the life that God is calling us to live and, and to, um, to press on towards that goal with perseverance, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Okay, so some of the distractions then, they get in the way. In 1 John 2.16, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I kind of spent some time thinking about that. And for a previous talk, um, about a year or so ago, I guess, I was thinking about it as well. And and, um, trying to look at what does this pride of life mean? You know, there's actually different um, discussions about what is meant by the pride of life. But I've got my own ideas, I've got my own interpretation of these three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You might not agree with them entirely. Um, Most of what I'm about to say are my own thoughts on these three areas. Um, But I'd just like you to consider them. And you might think that there are other meanings in this verse that you can also apply, but I just don't think you can disagree with uh, what I will be saying, um, whether or not you think this verse is entirely correctly interpreted, I don't know. I've I've read a bit, and so um, you kind of realise not everybody agrees with you when you start reading more and more about what people have said about the word of the Lord. But anyway, um, helpful is the New Living Translation, which says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And the enemy is at work in this world. So I just want to look at those three. Let's look first of all at the lust of the flesh. Okay, um, I'm describing that as, and you might have a different way of putting it, but this is mine. Go with it for now. And whether or not you like the interpretation, let's just ask ourselves, is God speaking to me today about just one thing that he wants to change? Because we all know that a a change of course of just one degree now makes a huge difference in a couple of miles' time. Just one little change. Maybe the Lord is asking us to sacrifice something, to lay something on the altar this morning. I'm calling the lust of the flesh things we go after based on emotions, like a craving for physical pleasure. We have biological, natural, unchecked and untamed desires. Well, we don't all have unchecked and untamed ones, but we all have biological, natural desires. And the lust of the flesh is when we, we, when we, when we give in to the lust of the flesh, we are giving in to those biological, natural desires. Greed, sex, one-upmanship, revenge, power. In the Bible, in the very beginning the enemy took hold of Eve's mind and he said to her, the tree is good for food. She saw that it was good, but that's the lust of the eyes, but she saw that it was good for food. It's something you feed yourself with. It might be comfort eating. It might be um, something that you know deep down isn't pleasing to God, but it's just something that, well, we like it. We like doing that thing. And I, as I thought about it, I, I felt like the, on this one, 
the focus is on the self. It's making yourself feel God, but not in, feel good, but not in a way that includes God. These are the lusts of the flesh. They're based on emotion. They make you feel good. But how do we get to that place? What's the root of all that? Well, I think it, it starts with something even shallower and simpler, and it's the lust of the eyes. It's, it's just everything that we see. The world plasters all around us things that we can see that draw us in and, and that we can then desire in the flesh. But it's the eyes that light up to these things, first of all. Things that distract us by their in, instant appeal. So we talked about the lust of the flesh very quickly, talking about the lust of the eyes now. And I'm, I'm saying examples of that might be a quick fix solution that doesn't weigh up the consequences you just see something and go for it. Toys that don't last. Surface level satisfaction. Alcohol glinting in the glass. Or a one night stand. They're just things in the moment. Now obviously that, some of those will overlap into the first area. They're feeding something of a desire within the self that is self-centred. The tree was pleasing to the eyes in Genesis 3, chapter, six, sorry, chapter 3, verse 6. The enemy came to Eve and he, he, he entered her mind with words and she saw that the fruit was good and that the tree was appealing to look at. It's appealing visibly. We're all quite visual people, really. God gave us eyes to appreciate his beauty and his glory and, and appreciate art and, uh, and the things that we can create for his glory and for just to glorify him through our own skills that he's given us. We're all quite visual people. We love a beautiful scene. But the enemy can use that and cause us to be distracted. Things that get in the way. So whereas with the lust of the flesh, it's kind of the focus is on me, me, me. What can I get? What can make me feel better? I felt like the lust of the eyes was focused on the object. The main point to think about here is the object. What objects get in your way? What catches your eye? whether it's your physical eye or just captures your attention. Some people have sort of what we would call triggers. They just, something triggers them and then they're off in that direction. What are your triggers? Be aware of them. Because the enemy will be aware of them and he'll use them. What catches your eye? And then allows you to, or, or you allow it to let, let it lead you into the, the lusts of the flesh. So this third one, the pride of, my, the pride of life, I've chosen to um, distinguish in my mind in, in the word life because Jesus said that I've come to give you life and I, I kind of feel like in this context though we're talking about this life on earth, pride that we get out of this life, the pride of life, things that make us look better. Now you might disagree with me but I feel like this is a key point of distraction, things that make us look better, because that's what pride is often about, not always, but often. Self-made success, pride in your own achievement, and thereby the approval of others. These things are not of, these things are of the world, so it's the pride of this life, as I already just said, not the life that Jesus promises it says there in the verse these are not from the father these are from the world so it's pride in this life pride a distraction how can that be a, a distraction 
the enemy came to Eve and said, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. Wow. Quite an aspiration. And quite an irony that she was already made in God's image and could have fellowship with God. And we're distracted by counterfeit things that make us feel better about ourselves, that make us feel better about ourselves in front of other people. Sometimes we need to give up some pride in order to fully focus on the kingdom. So for me, this focus is on other people. So the the lust of the flesh was focused on the self. The lust of the eyes was focused on an object. The lust of the, sorry, the pride of life was for me the focus on other people. And what do people see when they look at me? What do people see when they look at me and do I care? Yeah, I do. I do. I do care. I shouldn't do, but I do. I care too much. It's hard to talk to people about Jesus because even though kingdom-mindedly I know that he is the author and perfecter of faith and that he's coming again and he will reign eternally and I will reign with him, in the moment chatting to somebody about Jesus... I'm self-conscious. I, I see that as a, a little bit of pride because I, I, I don't want to be humiliated by his or her conversation or, or what they say or what they think of me. I don't want to put them off. Will they like me? We've got to get over this. And one of the thoughts I had years and years ago was about posting stuff on Facebook and um, having non-Christian friends on Facebook and if I post something Christian, what will they think? What will they think? And I felt like the Lord said to me, you're worried that they're going to find out the truth. They're going to find out one day. Better tell them now. They're going to find out one day. They're going to see as every knee bows to Jesus, they're going to see my knee bowing voluntarily and they're going to say, well, John was a Christian. But the pride of life gets in the way and I don't want to share these things. I'm just being honest with you. I find it... I find it difficult. But we can face our fears. And we are here to win. We have Jesus with us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We need to to get our focus straight. So as I've just been sharing, really, no one is immune. If you're sitting there thinking you're immune to all of these distractions and that you are super holy, then um, I was going to say come up and preach next week, but I actually don't want you to because... Um, you're lying to, to yourself or to us or both. We're all vulnerable to attack. Sometimes when we're low on energy, I've got three areas where I'm just sharing with you myself and I'm sure others can relate and that's why. When I'm low on energy, when I'm tired, fatigued, that's when it's just easy to just go for the soft option. We're all vulnerable. When's your soft spot? When I'm emotionally low, which isn't very often to be honest, I'm quite an upbeat person, but there are moments where, like all of us, like everyone in, in the, all, all the main, some of my favourite heroes in the Bible, they all have these emotional lows. Just been reading about Elijah in 1 Kings 19 again, and just thinking, wow, what a, what a peak and then a trough. And that's when the enemy comes in. And when God feels distant, he's never further away. Than, than any other time. 
but sometimes God feels distant. And sometimes he deliberately makes himself feel distant because he wants you to go through what we sometimes call resistance training. And we've heard it said in this room before, when you can't hear his voice, it's when you can't trace his hands, trust his heart. When you can't hear his voice, trust his character. But it's hard to do, isn't it? We all have these these difficult spots and that's why we need each other so I do pray that we will be able to run with perseverance as it says in Hebrews 12 the race marked out for us nobody else's race but God has a race marked out for you and it has a generic race for all of us to live kingdom minded seeking first his kingdom fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. How is Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith? Well, he had a race marked out for him, and because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And, and, and there's a mirror there for us, or, or a, a, a kind of pattern for us to follow. Sometimes we've got to take up our cross. Sometimes we've got to go through hardship knowing that one day we'll be seated with Christ. One day we'll be with him in eternity. So let us run our race. Three things to finish with. Prayer, the word, and fellowship. That's how I get through. And that's when I fail, that's what I've, one of these has been missing. Staying close to God in prayer is different for everybody, but spend some time with Jesus every day and do two things, talk and listen. Just find some space for your own good. Get, I've often said get up 15 minutes early. Get up five minutes early if that's all you can do, but just spend some time with God. Talk and listen. And it might, don't, don't try and do it like someone else has done it, or how you've seen. Just spend some time with them. If, you, if you've received the gift of tongues, speak in tongues for some time. And you don't have to get up to do that any earlier. You can do it while you're in the shower. You can do it all sorts of times. But spend some specific time with Jesus because it's rude not to. He saved you. Just spend some time with him. Fellowship with Jesus. Spend some time in the Word. Get on, if you've got a smartphone, get, get the Bible app and just get on a reading plan. Even if it just means you read one verse a day. In fact, if you're on the Bible app, it has a verse of the day. So they've made it very easy for you. All you have to do is open the app and you've read a verse of the Bible. But if you can do more than that, do more than that. Ask the Lord what he's saying through his word to you today. And finally, fellowship. We've got to help one another. We've got to be vulnerable with each other. We've got to, with the right people, I don't want people standing at the front just confessing all sorts of things that isn't relevant to everybody else. But perhaps in smaller groups of trusted friends who are Christians, you need to be vulnerable with one another. We need each other. We need to fellowship. We need to come together on Sundays and Wednesdays when we can and in home groups. And we need to start praying together. Because we're not unaware of the devil's schemes. And that way, we are here to win. The Bible verse I've used has been, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the end of that verse says, and all these things will be added to you. They're the things that we worry about that distract us. 
all the things that we're going after as a distraction, your Father knows what you need and he will give you everything that you need. And that way, we will win against this fallen angel who just likes to throw arrows at us from time to time. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you have already won the victory. Thank you for the awesome victory that you have won, that we have been celebrating through song and through communion. We thank you that we are on the winning team. We thank you that we don't need to worry desperately about these things, but we do need to watch ourselves sometimes and where we're given permission to watch one another, that we don't slip away and miss the mark. Because you have a plan for our lives which is better, stronger, greater, more exciting, more fulfilling than any other plan we could concoct for ourselves. And I just pray that you'll help us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In the name of Jesus, because we are here to win. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit Brixham.Church.